Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. Of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And then when you skip down to verse 24, it says, Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So after the temple foundation is built, they stopped building for about a period of about 17 years. So you had Cyrus, and then you had uh, another king after him. His son comes in, and then there's like this weird like six-month reign of some... It's kind of goofy how it works with the Persian history there, but but then Darius comes in. So so it stops for about 17 years, um, but note how this wasn't because the government stopped them. It's not that, you know, Darius or Cyrus or anybody came in and said, you, you must stop. You can't do this anymore. We don't like this. The locals made life really tough for the exiles as they came back. However they did it. It was probably through refusing to sell, probably refusing to trade goods. Uh, there's, I'm sure, verbal threats, and I'm sure there was threats of physical violence. Listen, you want to keep doing this? You want to keep building this? We're going to make life as tough as we can for you. And so they laid it on real thick. And so they were probably telling them, you know what, we're not buying anything from you. We're not selling anything to you. We're not trading anything to you. Have fun trying to build a temple when you can't get bricks, when you can't get wood, when you can't get anything that you need to build this thing that you want to build because we're not going to put up with it. And to top it off, we're just going to rip on you the whole time you're trying to do it. And so they they made it very difficult. They made it very hard to the point where they just stopped. They were just like, we can't handle this. We can't take it. But notice that it said at the end of uh, verse 24 in Ezra, chapter 4 there, that it stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius. So they got back to doing it. So what in the world got them to go back to work? How did they, how did they do that? So look at chapter 5 with me quick. Verse 1. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, <clears throat> excuse me, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So in short, these two, they're what, what, they're, what are known as the 12 minor prophets. You've got the four big ones. You've got you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They're only called major prophets because their books are, are bigger uh, and have a little more information than, than these minor prophets. They're only called minor prophets because their books are shorter. Um, and so two of them are mentioned right here, Haggai and uh, Zechariah. So what exactly did Haggai and Zechariah say that got the people into gear? Well, they called them to the carpet. <laughs> They pretty much said, hey, listen, this is, this is how it has to happen. So we're going to kind of take a break a little bit from the actual book of, uh, of Ezra. We're going to look at these guys, Haggai and, uh, and uh, Zechariah. Uh, first, we'll just look at Haggai. And so uh, we'll, we'll take a peek at what he had to say. So in your Bibles, I'll give you a minute here because 
it's it's not exactly the most well-read book <laughs> in the Bible, but if you want to look in your table of contents, get to get to the book of Haggai. Uh, it is it is three books from the back of, of the Old Testament. So the last book is Malachi, uh, and then you've got Zechariah, and then you've got Haggai. So once you get there, you can get there. But we're going to read from Haggai today, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out what exactly he said that made the people start going back to work and made this happen. So Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the, uh, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the, king, the, uh, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say... The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. We'll stop right there. These people say. Note that the Lord does not say, I said the house shall not be built right now. He says, these people say. Listen, friends, it's an excuse. It's an excuse for the people. Well, we're, we're just not supposed to build this right now. We've come across some difficulties. We've come across some hard times. There's some hardships here. We're just, we're just not supposed to do it. So they come up with the excuse. And then as, as they think about it, you know, as they run into these difficulties, as they run into these obstacles, they say, oh, it must be God's will that we not do this. Because by golly, we're having a hard time doing it. But we talked about this last week when it comes, uh, when it comes to the will of God, when, we, when we're seeking the will of God, don't seek ease, seek peace. Don't seek ease, don't seek, seek lesser work that you have to do, seek a peace within you that passes all understanding. You know that God has called you to do it. It may be difficult. It may be hard. In fact, it's probably going to be difficult. It's probably going to be hard. You're going to have to put up with people being jerks to you. But I'm telling you right now, you will have a peace inside of you when you know you're following the will of God. It's difficult. It's hard. It's not fun sometimes. But man, I feel, I feel at ease with God. I feel the peace of God there. Though the physical surroundings are difficult, maybe even the spiritual surroundings are difficult as the enemy attacks, you still have that peace with God because you know you are in the will of God. Listen, the people of Judah, the, the, these exiles, they received their instructions from the Lord through a decree from Cyrus. If you can remember the decree from Cyrus, not only did these folks have instructions from God, they had the backing of the government <laughs> at the time, and yet when the locals started putting on pressure, they folded. I mean, that's, that's, that's huge. I mean, the Persian government was, was not theocratic concerning the one and true, the one and only true God. I mean, they 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 had their own gods and all that kind of stuff, but they had the backing of the government. I mean, it, if you can recall, you know, you'd have to go back to Ezra chapter one. But when Cyrus makes this decree, he tells them, "Go back, make this house uh, for your for your God, because that's where your God is. He's out in Jerusalem. There, you guys go ahead and you go do this. Oh, and by the way, as you're leaving." As these guys are leaving, everybody, make sure you give them some gold and silver as they head out. <laughs> help them as they're heading back. You know, you're, you're their neighbors. You're with them. Let's, let's help them out. I mean, that is, that's unheard of. I mean, it, it, almost at any time, right? It's definitely unheard of today. I, I, 
I don't recall the last time the government was like, we are so glad that your church exists and that you're spreading the gospel of God. Here's some extra money for you. <laughs> that never happens. In fact, they're trying to find ways. Let's see if we can actually tax these churches and get money out of them instead of you know us trying to support and, and, and trying to make our nation that much better. Anyways, but they had... They had the backing of the government, and of course, most importantly, they had God. They had God's call on them. But how often does this happen to us? We have a clear call from God on what we should do, but an obstacle gets in our way, and we fold up our tents. It gets a little tough. Someone rips on us. Someone makes fun of us. We run out of money for some reason. We, 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 something happens and the obstacle comes, and then we stop and we think, no, it probably isn't God's will, because it just got hard. <laughs> but that's not how it is. And we've been talking about this quite a bit. It's, 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 it's the difficulties that our character and our faith is built on. It's those struggles. It's those hardships. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 Count it all, my brothers, when you meet trial. I'm sorry. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When you know you've got the call of God in your life, whatever it may be, whatever the situation is, if it's your job, if it's the way you're raising your kids, if it's how you're loving your spouse, whatever it is, when you have the will of God on you and the difficulties start coming in, that's when you should be working harder, right? What's the saying? The going gets tough, the tough get going, Right? When, when the going gets tough, the faithful get going. The faithful get working all the more and say, Lord, I am with you, and I'm going to do this. And we allow the Lord to, to move in power. So not only did they not do the work of the Lord, these, these exiles, not only did they stop doing the work, but they got comfortable in their disobedience and kind of became selfish. Look at Haggai chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Starting at verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came... Uh, by the, the hand of Haggai the prophet, verse 4, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Whew. That's one of those gut punches by God. How is your house? Man, that's, that's a nice house you got there. <laughs> You built that up real good. You got some rose bushes out in the front, and there's no weeds in the lawn. That's a, that's a nice fireplace you put in the living room there. Man, look at that kitchen. Look at that. That's beautiful. How much is that stove? Like $7,000? That's great. That's gorgeous. Man, look at that king-size bed. That's a California king. That's amazing. That's a great bed. That's a wonderful thing to sleep on. Oh, look at that stainless steel fridge. Oh, that's nice. The, the freezer's down on the bottom, so you don't have to... Wow, that is a gorgeous house you got there. But what about my house, says the Lord? Look at the junk that I'm living in. Look at the piece of garbage that's just sitting there. Weeds are starting to grow over it again. But man, 
That's a nice house you got. That's a real nice house you got. This is a shot directly at those in leadership, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the others. When he says paneled houses, that was the houses of the rich. You, you, I mean, again, we got to step out of our present time and like go back, you know, 3,000 years and say, okay, this is what their houses look like. I mean, if they had paneled wood on their houses, even though, you know, we, we might cringe at wood paneling. Oh, my goodness. That was 1970s. That's horrible. Back then, there was actual wood panels made out of cedar and those kinds of things, and it was, I'm sure it was very nice. It was, it was great, you know, you shiplap, I guess, is what it might be called today. But he's coming literally against the leadership and against the rich folks and say, listen, look at this beautiful house that you have, and yet my house lies in ruins. And he's pretty much saying, listen, I didn't have you come back here to build yourself a nice little house. I had you come back to build my temple, to rebuild that temple. Recall back in the days of King David, a man after God's own heart. What did he, what did he say concerning the presence of God? Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, he literally says, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, the paneled wood. I live in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Here I am in this lavish mansion, and David's heart just breaks to see the Ark of the Covenant, covenant which, is, which was a representation of the presence of God. It's not just sitting in a tent, by the way. If you can recall back when we were in, in, that, in that time period, it's a dilapidated tent. I mean, there were holes in it. It was messed up. The priests weren't doing a great job at keeping it up. He looks at it and says, the presence of God is sitting out in a piece of junk. And here I am sitting in comfort and ease in this gorgeous palace that I have. He felt horrific about it. Zerubbabel, a direct descendant of King David, direct descendant of King David, lost his focus. Unlike his, I don't know how many greats are in front of grandfather, but unlike his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, he wasn't sitting there thinking, man, I have a really nice house, but the presence of God sits empty. He became more concerned about his own comfort. He became more concerned about his own prosperity. Though the Lord wanted and instructed him to rebuild the temple, it got tough, so it stopped. Then maybe they figured, if God has plans for a hope in the future for me, I might as well concentrate on that. You know, we got the prophet of Jeremiah, you know, back in the beginning of Ezra, you know, it was to fulfill the words of Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah also prophesied, I have a hope for you. I have a future for you. I have all these plans for you. Well, I, I should probably concentrate on those, all those really good things. That's what, that's what I need to do. And so they got stuck in that trap and said, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm, I'm going to make a good, comfortable life for myself. And I'm going to have that prosperity. It's going to be good. I mean, it was so difficult anyways, just, just getting the foundation laid for the temple. We'll just leave it for someone else maybe some other time. But I'm comfortable right now. I'm, I'm, I'm where I need to be. And listen, friends, how many of us sit here today and are kind of caught in the same trap? 
We can sit here and we can rip on the prosperity gospel preachers that say God wants us to be healthy and wealthy and happy without any difficulty in the world, and we should strive for these things. That's what we should do. You know, God wants you to have a million dollars. God wants you to have your private jet. God wants you to have the gold sink in your bathroom and the gold toilet and everything looking all great and everything's all wonderful. Everything should be good. We sit there and we can knock on it. We can make jokes about it. But at the same time, in the back of our heads, are we actually believing it? Are we actually believing it? Sure, we may not be trying to buy a private jet or a mansion or a luxury car or or definitely not trying to swindle people out of their money so that we can buy those things. But how often are we trying to prosper at the cost of the glory of God? How often are we trying to make our position in life better and ignoring the glory of God and ignoring the presence of God? We may go with the flow of singing songs as you're coming to church, praying at the altar, expressing a desire for more of the Lord. But are we thinking we are near that because of our personal wealth and our personal comfort? Well, you know, my, my checkbook's balanced. Everything's good. I, I'm, I, I, can, I can worship a little bit. I can feel good about that. What happens when the tough gets going and it gets difficult? Maybe the job cuts your pay. Maybe you don't get the position you wanted to. Maybe something's going on in the marriage. Maybe something's going on with the kids. Maybe something's happening. And then all of a sudden, it gets really difficult. And then your comfort is is discomforted. Are we still going after the Lord? Or worse, is, is all of it more of a facade and we truly are seeking our own wealth and comfort? None of these people know. Pastor Dave already admitted that God doesn't sit there and talk to him in his office. Hey, this is everybody's sins. This is how it's working. So I'm just going to keep living the facade. And the truth is, I, I don't really care about the glory of God. I care about the bottom line in my checkbook. Don't get me wrong, friends, okay? It's not that the Lord has called us to poverty or that our lives should be miserable. <laughs> that's, that's not what it is. It's not that you should be seeking out difficulties. It's not that you should be seeking out hardships and those kinds of things. That's not what I'm trying to say. But have we lost focus of the importance that our main purpose is to show the glory of God? It's not about your retirement plan. It's not about your house. It's not about your cards. It's not about those things. It's about the glory of God. This is what happened with, with the exiles. And now God is about to show them the proof that this is what has been going on. Look at verse 5 of Haggai 1. Verse 5, Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. <coughs> Excuse me. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it became little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares, uh, why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself, 
while each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new vine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Listen, friends, they got comfortable and all the work they did to build up their prosperity, to build up their comfort, was all for naught. The crops didn't produce as much as they worked, as hard as they could, no matter what they were doing. They were never satisfied and often felt unfulfilled, maybe even empty. I'm doing all these things, I'm feeling good, I'm, I'm feeling great, but, but I'm still not there yet. I still don't feel fulfilled. I still don't feel fulfilled in my marriage. I still don't feel fulfilled in my relationship with my kids. I still don't feel fulfilled even though, you know, I, I, I've got some money. Everything that I'm doing, though, doesn't seem to be working out for me. My prosperity isn't where I think it should be. It's getting hard. It's getting tough. Listen, friends, if we want to ignore the glory of God, if we want to avoid what he has called us to do, we can expect the exact same results in our work and our striving. You may have slowly fallen into this level of comfort without realizing it, kind of like the frog that slowly gets boiled in water. Y'all heard of that, right? I heard that it's a myth, actually. I have no clue. I've never cooked frogs in my life. But supposedly if you boil a pot of water, and then you think you're just going to throw a frog in there and boil it, it's going to jump right out because it's cold-blooded. You know, it's, it, it realizes it's way too hot in here. I, I'm going to die. And it, it, like, as soon as it gets to the bottom, it jumps out, supposedly. Again, no idea. I've never cooked frogs. So what you have to do is you have to take the frog, put it in the pot, nice room-temperature water, stick it on the burner, slowly turn the heat up. The frog says, oh, this is good. This is comfy. This is nice. Because their body acclimates to it because they're cold-blooded. They're not like us. They're cold-blooded, and, and it slowly acclimates. And this is great. This is amazing. This is, I love it. It's so comfortable. And then they die. And then you eat them. I think you fry them first, though. They're kind of like chicken wings. But anyways, uh, what's that? You, 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 you make them, Andre? Oh, <laughs> there you go. Give it a shot if you want to, Andre. I expect a report next week. All right. But that happens. We get into that comfort. We get into the prosperity. We look at what we have. We look at what's going on. And everything is going well. Listen, friends, how do you know you're stuck in this track? Look at all that you're doing. Consider your ways, as the Lord says. Are you going through the motions? Are you feeling unfulfilled? Are you feeling empty? Are you feeling useless? Does your spouse feel this way? Do your kids feel this way? You look at your family and you're like, man, my kids feel unfulfilled. My husband, my wife, they feel unfulfilled. What's going on? And then you sit back and you, and you, you talk. You say... It's great that we're doing all this stuff, but are we doing it to glorify God? Are we just doing it to, to keep people busy or to make more money or to whatever? Because when it's not to glorify God, again, this is what you can expect. Lots of striving and a lot of emptiness. Lots of working and nothing to show for it. We ignore the glory of God, and we pay more attention to our own ways. 
and it messes everything up. Remember when a couple years ago we went to we went on a vacation, went down mainly to see the Grand Canyon. That was our big thing. Let's go to the Grand Canyon. Let's go down to Arizona. This is going to be fun. And so we did, and we drove, and it was. It was great. The first part of the trip was kind of boring, even though we were pleasantly surprised as GPS took us through the back roads of Nebraska, which I didn't know Nebraska had hills. I just thought Nebraska was just I-80 and everything else was just cows. I I didn't know. So we come in through the back way, and there's like all these hills and stuff. Whoa, this is kind of fun. Woo! It's keeping me awake because we left at like 4 in the morning. And it was great. We get to Denver, and it was, it was nice, and we stop at Denver, and we're like, okay, let's, let's get going. And from Denver, the GPS takes us. I, I do not – I can't believe – I told myself, I will never forget the num- number of this highway. I forgot it. Anyways, so we start leaving, and it takes us through the Rockies. This is gorgeous. I meant to, I meant to get the video. I, I forgot to do that. But we, we're, we're coming through the Rockies, and then we get to this point – where it's like this curve, and as you come out, it's like you're coming out of the mountains, and then there's this massive plain, and then there's all these mountains, and you're coming down, and it's just gorgeous, and, and you can, like, Stevie's videotaping the whole thing, and all of a sudden, it's like, everybody's like, oh, that's amazing, ooh, nice, and then as we come around this bend, everybody in the car, whoa, that's beautiful, it's so gorgeous, it's amazing, I mean, we, we were like little kids in a candy store with like a million bucks on us, and it's just like, this is amazing, and so we go, and we're just, it, it, it was gorgeous, it was beautiful, we get down to the corner of Colorado, I don't remember where it was called, but uh, there's Mesa Verde, which has all these cool tabletop plateau things, all of it, absolutely gorgeous, and we're like, this wasn't on the stop, but i uh, what if we just paid the, I don't know, what was it, 10 bucks or something? Maybe it was free. I don't know, because kids get to go into national parks for free or something. People want to drop their kids off or something and leave. I don't know what it is. But anyway, so you get to go in this and beautiful. Again, we're, we're going up these things. I have a terrible fear of heights, so I'm white-knuckling the steering wheel. I'm like, you guys like it? It's beautiful, isn't it? You better be looking out the window and not your phone or else I'm going to beat you because I'm about to die. And we're going along the edges of these cliffs and everything. It's gorgeous. And then we come back down and then we go through. Nate really wanted to... Oh, he's not up here because he's a kid. Anyways, Nate really wanted to stop at the Four Corners. You ever heard of that? It's where you can stand the four states. But it's it's owned by... Uh, a, a Native American tribe, and they had it closed because of COVID. So we missed that, but then, so so we kind of snake through there, and we go through, you know, New Mexico for a minute, and then we get into Arizona, and Arizona's really nice and really pretty, and, and we get to where we're staying, and we stay there for a couple of days, and it was nice, but then we go to the Grand Canyon, and it was like, you know, that, like I said, we're coming around that bend. It's just gorgeous. And it was just like that. Every, everywhere we walked in the Grand Canyon, it's like, oh, it's gorgeous. This is amazing. This is beautiful. This is awesome. And we, we just couldn't believe it. And it, it was just, it was so great. And then after that, uh, you know, we, we leave the Grand Canyon. And Stevie, you know, had this really, real huge desire to go see what's called Horseshoe Bend. You've, you've seen it on commercials. I can't describe it. It's like this little bend with water. I, I don't know, but it's, it's really cool. It's, it's neat looking. We go to see that again, awestruck, absolutely amazed by it. We go up. Um, sorry, I'm losing my breath here because I'm out of shape, but anyways, um, we go up, I've got a cousin that lives in Salt Lake city. And so we're coming up to Utah. So we, we came down, you know, the East side of the Rockies. Now we're coming up the West side and it, it again, just absolutely gorgeous as we're driving through, you know, 
Utah and everything. And, you know, we didn't get to see, you know, Bryce Canyon or any of those cool spots. But even on the outskirts of it, it's still gorgeous. And you're just like, look at all these mountains. This is awesome. And and so we, we, we still come up and then you get up to Wyoming. And even Wyoming, I was like surprised again. I'm like, Wyoming. I mean, it's Wyoming. Who cares about Wyoming? But there's all these hills. We stayed at a place that was near some waterfall. Waterfall was gorgeous and everything. And, and then we come up and we're like, okay, let's, let's hit up, you know, back by South Dakota. We're going to go through the Black Hills. And we're going to go see Mount Rushmore. Let's do that to a part of this trip. Okay, sounds good. Get to the Black Hills, really nice. I mean, it's, it's not as cool as the Rockies, but it was still really good. It was still awesome. And then we get, we get to Mount Rushmore. Oh, we're finally here. This is amazing. We get to Mount Rushmore. We park. We walk up. And, you know, for those of you that have been there, you know, there's like this big walkway to Mount Rushmore. We get there. I mean, literally. (laughs) And we just said, I thought it'd be bigger. (laughs) I I thought it was going to be huge. Like, I, I thought... I thought we were going to get boogies from, like, Washington's nose or something. I, I, I didn't know what I was thinking. We were just saying, I didn't think it would be a little bit bigger. I, I, I was kind of surprised. And, you know, we're, we're taking a picture, and we're like, it seems like Mount Rushmore is, like, 200 miles behind us. But it, it's, like, right here. And it, it, it just kind of got to where you, we were just unsatisfied. We are kind of unfulfilled as we saw that. And we were like, all the natural beauty and, you know, stuff from the Grand Canyon, all that stuff. That was awesome. But then you come across, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, those dudes that built Mount Rushmore, that, that's amazing. That was, you know, life-threatening, all that stuff. I mean, it was, it was neat, but compared to everything else, it's kind of like, oh, that was, that was okay. <laughs> but everything else was great. That's what God's telling these exiles. You're doing all this stuff, but you're not glorifying me, so, so who cares? Who cares? You're unfulfilled. You have nothing to show for all this stuff you're doing because it's not glorifying me. A lot of you know that there's a particular quarterback on a particular football team that I enjoy. Way back in 2012, way back, he did a, a regular interview with a guy. His name is Jason Wilde. I really like Jason Wilde. He's a, a, a Packers reporter. But he would do this weekly show. And he sits down with Aaron Rodgers, and he, they get to talking about when the Packers had won the Super Bowl in 2010, and they were talking about the feelings. And Rodgers says... You know, we got done with that game. You know, he had a great game. He was the MVP of the Super Bowl. Um, And he said, we got on that bus. And he was like, that's it. That's, That's what this is all about. And he just, he just flat out told him. He was like, it seemed so unfulfilling. He's like, we just won the Super Bowl. I I got the MVP of the Super Bowl. And I still felt kind of like, that's it. (laughs) I mean, he's at the pinnacle of his success. He's at the height of his popularity. He technically wasn't at the height of his, you know, athletic ability playing the position that he plays. He actually had an even better year the next year and and a couple years after that. But, But he just was like... That's all it was. 
And now he just got out of some dark hobbit house trying to find himself. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Some of you may have heard of it just because you want to make fun of me because I'm a fan of the team. <laughs> but it's a weird story. He's gotten weird. Why has he gotten weird? Because he was, un- it's not because he's from Wisconsin. Wisconsin is the land of the living. <laughs> don't, don't even. We have cheese. We have brats. Don't even. My parents don't have this snow. I'm, I'm envious of my parents. Anyways. But in all seriousness. I, I, I looked back, and I mean, he's not going to watch this. He doesn't care about this. I looked back, and, and he had talked about how he started following some celebrity pastor. And I remember, like back in 16, 17, I was like, that's, that's when the dude started changing. Now, I, I, I will readily admit, and I will say this time and time again, we don't know any of these celebrities you know, they want to praise God. They want to thank God for everything. They're, that's great. <coughs> we, we don't know any of them. We don't know their hearts. We don't know anything about these guys. But when he said he started following the celebrity pastor, I was like, that's, that's where it changed. That's where it got weird. And now it's, it's gone so far to where he's trying to find himself and do all these different things. And it's all coming up empty. Why? Because it's not for the glory of God. And so often, the exiles did it. We do it ourselves. We're trying to find fulfillment. We're trying to find purpose. We're trying to find all this stuff. And we're striving and we're doing all these different things. And the, the, the truth is, we've lost the object that we're trying to, to show people. And that's the glory of God. We're not trying to do this for the glory of God. Listen, friends, are your eyes being opened today? Then consider your ways and change them to glorify God. If you're feeling unfulfilled, if you're feeling that you're, you, you feel like you're at a dead end, if you're like, man, I, I work a lot and I get a lot of money, but, but it's, it's not adding up. It's not working the way that I think it should be working. My relationship with my spouse is terrible. My relationship with my kids is terrible. All these different things is weird. And I, I'm trying my best to do all this stuff. You know, Maybe I'm coming to church more. Maybe I decided to start giving more. Maybe I started to start singing during the worship time. I don't know. I'm trying to do all these different things to make all these different things work. And the one thing we're not trying (laughs) is stepping back and saying, Lord, it's all about you. It's what I'm doing bringing glory to you. Are people seeing your glory by what I'm doing? And if they're not, that is why you're unfulfilled. That is why you're lost. That is why you feel like you're stuck in a dead end. The people, though, the people of Judah, they considered their ways as God told them to do. And look at what happened. Look at verse 12 of Haggai 1. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. 
that Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, the second year of Darius the king. First, notice where their fear transferred to. They stopped fearing the locals and started fearing God. Lord, it's all about you. We've messed this up. And so when they decided to transfer that fear that causes them to stop working to a fear of the Lord and an awe respect of the Lord, the Lord was with them. Listen, friends, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is with you, nothing can stop it. Second, he emboldened them. We'll see all the things the locals will try to do to stop the Jews from working again and get them back into this rut. Really, it's what Satan was trying to do through the local people. I mean, Satan does not want the temple of God. Satan never wants us to be empowered. Satan never wants us to be emboldened. Satan doesn't want any of that stuff. So he throws all these curveballs and everything at us to try to throw us off our path. But listen, friends, he who is greater, he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And that's what these people realized. And they were able to continue on with the work no matter what was going on. We talked about it last week, how like half of, over half of Ezra chapter 4 is really a a couple of letters in which the people are trying to get them to stop, but it doesn't work. We're going to see it later on as we get back to Ezra in chapter 5. They try to do it to Darius. They're trying to do all these things to stop them, but they don't stop. And the people don't listen because they have God on their side. They don't care. The gates of hell will not prevail when it's God's will moving forward. And that's what you see with the people of Judah. And listen, friends, that's what you can have in your life. You can have that same thing in your life if we would just consider our ways. Why do you do the work you do? Why do you raise your kids the way you raise your kids? Why do you love your spouse the way you love your spouse? Why do you go to school? Why do you help out in different areas in the community? Why do you give? Why do you come on Sunday mornings? If it's not to glorify God, if it's not to display the glory of God, you're often going to feel unfulfilled and empty. If you want that fulfillment, you want to feel that purpose, you want to feel like you're really doing something. Lord, help me to show your glory. That's exactly what God got on to the people, the exiles for You sit in that beautiful house, you sit in your comfort, you sit in your prosperity. And yet the house that I've commanded you to build, I mean, it wasn't even garbage. I mean, it, it was just a foundation with probably weeds growing over it. 
Clean it up, build it, and see what happens. And those people got to see an awesome work of the Lord. Got to see a powerful work of the Lord. Because they decided to consider their ways and change. And say, Lord, I want to focus on your glory. Let's stand today and and close this up. Consider your ways. Consider what you're doing. And is it for the glory of God? You know, it's not easy to explain what that looks like. Really what it is, is it's, are you ignoring your selfish desires and wanting to see the ways of God prosper is really what it is. It's the idea of, I'm not doing this so that I can get rich. I'm not doing this so I can have a bigger house, a nicer car. I'm not doing this so that my kids look better than all the other kids in town or that I have the perfect marriage. I'm doing this because I want people to see God working through me. That's what it is. And then people will see it and say, that person attends Crossroads Church. There must be something to the God that they worship. That's that's really what it is. And that's what God is telling those exiles. It's like, listen, as you do this and they see you prosper, listen, they're, they're not going to necessarily turn and say, wow, that God is great. We should follow that God. Most of them will just complain and argue because they don't like that it's happening. But for us ourselves, for those that believe, for those that are following God, if we will do it for the glory of God, the Lord will prosper you. Again, I'm not sitting here trying to give you prosperity gospel. I'm talking in the fact that you will feel fulfilled. You will feel like the mom you want to be. You will feel like the father you want to be. You'll feel like the husband you want to be. You'll feel like the wife you want to be. You'll feel like the kid you want to be. You'll feel like the believer you want to be because you're glorifying God. You're showing the glory of God. 